This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. You know, we've been looking at a few lessons on what is the truth about, and I want to start with reading a tract that I received one time, and this is what it said inside the tract. Are you ready to receive God's free gift? If you are, you need to call on Him in prayer. You may pray your own prayer. Or if you need help in praying, you may use the following sinner's prayer if you truly make it your own confession. It says this, Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner and need your forgiveness. I know you died on the cross for me. I now turn from my sins and ask you to forgive me. I now invite you into my heart. I now trust you as my Savior and follow you as Lord. Thank you for saving me. Amen. The track continues to say, Did you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Did you ask him to save you? Did you give Jesus complete control of your life? If so, welcome to God's family. Why not pause for a moment and thank him for saving you? Well, the track says that. And it sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds easy. There's only one problem. You're not going to find that in the Bible. You can search the Bible from cover to cover, and you will never find what they call the sinner's prayer. You will never find this pattern as God's pattern or plan for human salvation. So the question arises, does God reveal to us what he requires for human salvation? Or in other words, what is the truth about salvation? Well, whenever we look at salvation, there are two parts of salvation, if you want to look at it that way, and that is God's part, and there is man's part we find that God has done his part. You know, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Should not perish if we believe. Now, there are some versions of the Bible translated will not perish. That's not correct. Because there are those who believe but they will not be saved in heaven because of their lack of faith, lack of action on the things that they are doing. Well, we want to start with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Again, here God doing his part. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So God gave us his son, as we saw in John 3.16, and through his son, he offered his grace to us. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. There's nothing we could do to cause God to give us salvation. 
but because of his love for us, he offers his grace to us. In Titus chapter 2, look at verse 11. Titus chapter 2, we're going to look in verse 11. The verse says there, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. In other words, God has given his grace, or offered, I'll put it this way, it's better. God has offered his grace to everyone. Well, so God has done his part, but we, our part, we must access God's grace. Now, how do we access the grace of God? Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul tells us there. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. So we access God's grace through our faith. And we look at Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, people try to say that uh, we have a blind faith. No, we have evidence for the faith that we have. We have evidence, Psalm 19.1, that God exists. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. We have evidence that God sent his Son into the world. You can look at it both historically and through the Bible as well. And we have evidence that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead after he was made the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Wonder we look at the gospel accounts there and in the writings of Peter and Paul and James and all those. So we find that we access God's uh, grace through our obedient faith. So we look at it again. What are God's requirements then for us to have that obedient faith by which we access his grace. Well, God has always commanded human beings to hear his word. In Romans chapter 15 and in verse 4, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, the, Paul there says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning." that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So those things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our learning. In other words, we go back and reread the things that happened with the people and the events and everything in the Old Testament. And we see that that is to help us, that it will comfort us. You look up the word comfort in the little Greek word translated there, it means an exhortation. So if we have patience or endurance, it exhorts us to do what God commands us to do. And God has always 
commanded or required humankind to hear his word. You know, we go to the Old Testament, go to first of all to Second Kings chapter 18, verses 11 and 12. Second Kings chapter 18, verses 11 and 12. It says there, and a king of Assyria did carry away Israel into Assyria, and let's see, yeah, 11 and 12, and put them in Hala and in Habor by the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant. And all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and would not hear them nor do them. God required Israel, under the law of Moses, to hear his word. And when they would not hear, we notice here that this is the talking about the Assyrian captivity there of the northern ten tribes. In Nehemiah chapter 8, look at verses 1 and 2, also going along with God requiring us to hear his word. Nehemiah chapter 8, Verses 1 and 2. It says there, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake to Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the high priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. So everyone that could hear with understanding. Now you think about how old does a child have to be to hear with understanding? Very, very young. So there's that, hear his word. In Isaiah chapter 30, look at verses 8 and 9. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. We find there, now go write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the word of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get you out of the way, turn out of the aside out of the path cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. We don't want to hear God's word in other words is what they're saying. We want to hear that we are so good and with what we're doing it doesn't matter what lifestyle we live. That's what we want to hear but that's not what God's word has to say. And then also look at Jeremiah chapter 13 verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 10. It says there, This evil people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination, or the American Standard Version says, stubbornness of their own heart, and walk after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall even be as this girdle which is good for nothing. 
So in other words, if they did not listen to the word of God and obey it, they were good for nothing. Same way today as well. So those are Old Testament examples. Let's look at some New Testament examples of that we must hear the word of God. First go to Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Matthew chapter 7, <clears throat> verses 24 to 27. <clears throat> Jesus speaking. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. So we notice there that we hear the word of God, and we do what the word of God requires. Now verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So if we hear the word of God and we don't do it, we're headed for destruction. So very plainly, we must hear the word of God, not the word of someone else. Because you see, there are different kinds of hearers, those that hear and do and those that hear and don't do. In Mark chapter 4, look at verses 15 to 20. Mark chapter 4, verses 15 to 20 talking there of the parable of the sower we find in verse 14. Sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, again heard the word of God, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Verse 18. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. In other words, we get too busy doing our own little thing instead of doing what God commands us to do. And then verse 20. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So right there we see there are the different kinds of hearers the ones that hear and just don't care at all, the ones that hear and obey, and it's not a bed of roses like they thought it was going to be. Persecution comes, maybe family, maybe friends, something like that, they fall away. And then those that hear the word of God, they, they obey the word of God, but then all of a sudden they get busy with life, and the word of God is choked out. And then those who hear the word of God, they do the word of God, and they bring forth fruit. 
those are the different kinds of hearers we see there. In Romans chapter 10, look at verses 13 to 17. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 17. It says, therefore, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, stopping there for a moment, how do we call on the name of the Lord? Well, Acts 22:16 describes that for us. It says, and now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's how we call on the name of the Lord. But let's go back again, Romans 10, verse 14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So that faith that we have, again, back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the substance or the support or the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence, the proof of things not seen. So that faith we have comes from hearing the word of God. Of God. You know, in John 12, 48, Jesus said there, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I've spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And then James chapter 1, verse 22. James chapter 1, verse 22. There James says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know, if we don't do what the word of God commands, we're just deceiving ourselves. So we must hear the word of God. Now, God has also always required mankind to believe him. Let's go to some Old Testament examples again. Let's go first of all to Numbers chapter 14, verses 6 through 11. Numbers chapter 14, verses 6 through 11. This is after the spies have come back from the land of Canaan, and ten spies gave an evil report. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, This land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land. For their bread for us, their defense is departed from them. The Lord is with us, fear them not. And then verse 10, But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. 
And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them. You see, that was the problem. They'd heard. They just didn't believe. Many people today, you know, many people today believe in God. The problem is they don't believe God. Yeah, there's a God that exists, but then they live the way they want to. They don't believe what God has to say in the scriptures. Go to 2 Kings 17 for another Old Testament example. I'm going to look at verses 12 to 15. 2 Kings 17, verses 12 to 15. Here again it talks about, this is when the northern ten tribes of Israel were taken captive. It says the reason why. For they served idols, whereof the Lord had said unto them, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways, and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants the prophets. Verse 14, notwithstanding they would not hear, <clears throat> that goes with the previous point, but harden their necks like to the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. They refused to believe. Now verse 15, and they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he testified against them. And they followed vanity. In other words, they followed idols and became vain and went after the heathen that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. Again, they did not believe God. And then it's found in the New Testament, but go to James 2, 21 to 23. James chapter 2, verses 21 to 23, talking about an Old Testament man by the name of Abraham. It says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought or worked with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? So faith without works is not perfected. Verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. And then verse 24, You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. God says of him through the pen of James, that Abraham believed God, and that was whenever he did offer his son Isaac upon the altar. Faith must work, or faith is dead, as verse 26 here in James chapter 2 says. All right, so let's look at some New Testament examples. Let's go to James chapter 2 again. Look at verse 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. 
Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. The question is, how can we show faith if we don't do anything? You can't. Faith must work. Again, verse 24, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. And then in John chapter 6, look at verses 28 and 29. John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. There it says, they say unto him, him being Jesus, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. You see, belief is a work. It's something we do. And that's what a work is, something that we do. In John chapter 8, Look at verse 24. John chapter 8, verse 24. Talking again about belief, Jesus speaking, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. We must believe. Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, believe the Word of God as well. In John 20, look at verses 30 and 31. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. It says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And then Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we have to believe that God exists and believe that God rewards those who diligently seek them, do their very best to seek after God. Well, something else that God has always required of humankind, and that is repentance. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change in action. So let's Look at some Old Testament examples. Go first of all to Job 42, verse 6. Job chapter 42, verse 6. Job there, after all the trials he had gone through, and then after his confrontation here with God, he says, Wherefore I abhor myself, repent in dust and ashes. Job had made some accusations against God. And he understood he had no right to do that. Whenever we go to Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 6. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 6. It says there, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, 
Repent and turn yourselves from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. Repent, turn away from it. Turn away from sin and turn back to God or turn to God if you've never been with God in obeying him. And then also look at Ezekiel 18.30. Ezekiel 18.30 says there, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. So again, repentance. Now looking at some New Testament examples, go to the book of Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Luke 13 verses 1 through 5. It says there were present at that season some that told him, that being Jesus, of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So in other words, Pilate, who was the Roman governor there at the time, had apparently executed or had killed Jews that were there sacrificing to God and their blood and the blood of their animal sacrifices mingled together. Well, verse 2, Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things? In other words, did they deserve that? He said, I tell you, nay, no. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Verse 4, Jesus said, Are those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam or in Siloam fell and slew them? Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? He said, I tell you nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Repentance is required by God. In Luke chapter 16, look at verse 30. Luke 16:30. This is the rich man speaking to Abraham there in the Hadean realm. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. So that rich man knew that his five brothers there, verse 28, they needed to repent. They needed to change their lives or they were going to be in that same place of torment with their brother who was there now and is still there now. <laughs> and then we also look at Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 says, In the times of this ignorant ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Everyone must repent of their evil way. And then let's go back to Acts chapter 8, verse 22. Acts chapter 8, verse 22. Peter, speaking to Simon the sorcerer, said this, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. He had offered the apostles money so that he could pass on this same gift that they were able to pass on, gift of the Holy Spirit. And he said, you need to repent. 
your heart's not right. Not right at all. Well, also, God requires mankind to confess. And God has required that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. First of all, the Old Testament, look at Leviticus chapter 5, verse 5. Leviticus chapter 5, verse 5. It says there, And it shall be, when he shall be guilty in one of these things, that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. That being an individual who has sinned. Confess that before God. In Second Samuel, look at chapter 12, verse 13. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. It says, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Right there David made confession that he had sinned with Bathsheba and committing adultery and lying and drunkenness and having her husband killed and such and such as that. He admitted that he sinned. In 1 Kings chapter 8, look at verses 33 and 34. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 33 and 34. Here it says, this is at Solomon's dedication of the temple. And his is his prayer to God. When thy people Israel be smitten down before the enemy because they have sinned against thee and shall turn again to thee, that's the repentance, and confess thy name, confession, and pray and make supplications unto thee in this house, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy people Israel and bring them again into the land which thou gavest unto their fathers. God required confession. In Psalm 32, look at verse 5. Psalm 32, we're going to look at verse 5. There says it's a Psalm of David, but anyway it says, I acknowledged my sin unto thee. And mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. So there is confession of sin to God in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there are several different ideas about confession. The first one we're going to look at is Matthew 10 32 to 33. Matthew 10, 32 to 33. Jesus says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is his heaven, <clears throat> in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. So right there, that is talking about confessing Jesus by the way we live. 
the things we say, the things we do, the things we think, we are to be confessing him. Because if we're afraid to confess him in this life, what does he say? I'll deny him before my Father which is in heaven. So we have to confess him now if he will confess us then. Also look at John chapter 9 verse 22. John chapter 9 verse 22. These are the blind man's parents that Jesus had healed. So these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. In other words, here we have people saying, yes, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But this group that we see, the blind man's parents, they're not willing to confess that. Why? Well, because they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. They were unwilling to confess Christ. Look at John 12, 42. John chapter 12, verse 42. says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. There's another example of the very same thing. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 10, 32? If you not confess me before men, I'll deny you. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. And that's exactly what these folks were doing. They were denying Christ. They believed, but they denied him. Also, let's look at Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We confess with the mouth before others that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. God raised him from the dead, and that confession is made unto salvation. The little Greek word ace. It's unto salvation. And then we find in 1 John chapter 4 verse 15 1 John chapter 4 verse 15 It says there Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. We make the confession that Jesus is the Son of God, and we live like he is. And then in 2 John, look at verse 7. 2 John 7 says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So anyone who does not confess that Jesus is come in the flesh, Son of God, the Savior, they're an antichrist. See, you look at the scriptures, there's no such thing as the 
Antichrist. There are Antichrist. They are all Antichrists that do not believe that Jesus came in the flesh, the Son of God. So there we have examples that God always requires either confession of sin. We also want to look at that in 1 John chapter 1 again. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have confession of sin toward God. We have confession before all of mankind by the way that we live that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that God raised him from the dead. He is the Savior, and we must obey him in order to have salvation. Well, another example of things that we must do that God requires in us about the truth about salvation, and that is baptism. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Look at verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. It says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. In other words, there was water above them and water beside them at that, at, at that point. Verse 3, and did all eat of the same spiritual meat, and did all drink of the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So there is a, a picture of baptism, water surrounding the Israelites there. But you go over to Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. And you find Jesus saying this. He said unto them, the 11, verse 14 tells us, the 11 apostles. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned or damned. So we have those, uh, we, we, you, you go over this, you have those that try to say, but Jesus didn't say that, you know, he that believeth not and is not baptized will be damned. Well, Jesus didn't have to say that. Jesus didn't lie when he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's not a lie. Jesus never sinned. And the word and also shows that belief and baptism, one is just as important as the other. They are both important in our salvation. But you also have those who try to say that Mark 16 verses 9 through 20 are not found in the Bible. You see, if you can't get around baptism for the remission of sins, then you have to try to get it out of the Bible. 
Well, at last count, there are over 5,800 Greek manuscripts or fragments of manuscripts of the New Testament, many dating from 100 to 300 years of the original writings. But there are translations of the Bible that cut it out. Uh, just some examples. Or an example, the footnote in the New International Version says, the most reliable early manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have Mark 16, 9 through 20. And they are talking here about the codexes. Uh, Codex Sinaiticus was written, it was believed, around A.D. 340. And it contains the whole New Testament, part of the Old Testament, and parts of the Apocrypha as well. But it omits that part. Codex Vaticanus, written around 350 AD, contains the Old Testament and entire New Testament, except the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Revelation, and the latter part of Hebrews. And then you have the Codex Alexandrinus, written about 450 AD. It contains a large part of the Old Testament, the entire New Testament, except a few verses in Matthew and John and 2 Corinthians. Therefore, the wording of the footnote in the New International Version is misleading because if one has the passage and two of them don't, that is most, in other words, they may not have the most reliable or be the most reliable because of what else is missing or added. You see, there's no footnote in the NIV that says some reliable early manuscripts omit the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Revelation, and the latter part of Hebrews. Doesn't say that at all. So we need to be wary of footnotes. Them footnotes are not inspired because earlier writings of Mark 16, 9 to 20, have been proven to be in the Bible. Virtually every single ancient version of the Bible include Mark 16, 9 through 20, and many of those versions are far more ancient than the manuscripts. One of those is the man by the name of Tatian, he lived from around 120 A.D. to 180, and in his work called the Diatessaron, which is four accounts of the gospel, kind of like the harmony of the four gospels for the Syrian-speaking churches, he includes the last 12 verses of Mark, and that's older than either any of those manuscripts. Irenaeus, who lived from 120 to 192 A.D., quotes Mark 16, 19 in his writings. So whenever you go back and look at the evidence, Mark 16, 9 to 20 are in the scriptures. You know, look also concerning baptism at Acts chapter 9, verse 11. Now, these are going to be examples of that. Acts chapter 9, verse 11. This is after Paul was there on his journey there to Damascus, and he was blinded there. 
And verse 10, it says, There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire of the, in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. So Saul of Tarsus is here praying. All right, look at verse 18. It says, And immediately they fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. Immediately was baptized, you see. In chapter 22, verse 16, we've already seen, and this is Paul going back and saying what had happened to him that day. Acts chapter 22, verse 16 it says there, Ananias is speaking to him, and he says, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Baptism washes away sin because it is in baptism that we contact the saving blood of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Peter there says, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was the preparing, wherein few that is eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you think about it. There are many examples of conversion. We're not going to have time to go through all these, but you go back to Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 41. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 41. It says, Therefore, Peter speaking, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, there's and in there, one's just as important as the other, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. You could look at Acts chapter 8, verse 12, and verses 35 to 39, and Acts 16, 30 to 34, Acts 18, 8. We find several examples of conversion. But then that's not all. Salvation also includes being faithful unto death. You know, there are those who believe in once saved, always saved, which is obviously false. But there are those who also believe once baptized, always saved, and that's just as false. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, the latter part of that verse says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee the crown of life. 
not just be faithful for 20 years or 30 years or 80 years. You be faithful till you die. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, those are Christians, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucified of themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. As long as they reject God's word, they cannot be saved. And then Second Peter two twenty to twenty two. Second Peter chapter two verses twenty to twenty two says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, those are Christians again, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. In other words, they've fallen away. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it's happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog has turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. You see, we can find all kinds of ways to be saved whenever you read the works of men, but only God's word contains the truth. John seventeen seventeen, sanctify them through that truth. Thy word is truth. So what is the truth about salvation? We must hear the word of God. We must believe the word of God. Believe that God is. Believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. We must repent of sins. Turn away from that old lifestyle and start living for God. We must make confession. Not only the confession that we believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God like the Ethiopian eunuch did. We didn't have time to read that in Acts chapter 8. But we also must confess Jesus every day in our lives by the way that we live. We must be baptized for the remission of sins, and baptism is an immersion in water, Romans 6, 3 to 4. And then live faithfully the rest of our lives, whether we die of old age or it costs our life to be faithful to God. So again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today and the truth about salvation. We look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Way Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also you can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.